You don't remember. I thought you might have forgotten. I know where he is, Barbara. So many things. You will alert no one. If you do, we'll never speak again, and you'll be collecting wet pieces of your brother for quite some time. And then I need you to be calm, Barbara. I want. How's it going? I want you to make a sandwich. <laughs> Gotham City, like any other large metropolis, abounds in girls of all shapes and sizes. Debutantes, nurses, stenographers, and librarians. Gotham City Library, Miss Gordon speaking. Lopez hair removal, this is Jose. Holy transformation. One minute, plain Barbara Gordon, librarian and Commissioner Gordon's daughter. And the next minute... Something new has been added. Batgirl, modeled after her idol, Batman. Holy apparition! No, Boy Wonder, I'm Batgirl. You are no longer alone, Cape Crusaders. It took me three years to track down the Jade Gato, and three more to figure out how to steal it. Funny, it only took me ten minutes to figure out how to snatch it back. No matter how you do it, crime doesn't pay girls.
boy. Uh, so let's say I'm your host, Stella, and this is Bad Girl to Oracle, the Barbara Gordon Podcast, episode 51, the third anniversary episode, part one for December MMXII. Uh, Backworld Oracle is also brought to you by MileHighComics.com, your new and collectible comic book store. Mile High Comics has an inventory of over 5 million comics from the gold, silver, bronze, and modern age, and over 100,000 trade paperbacks. If you're not into the vintage stock, Mile High Comics also has a subscription service called the New Issue Comics Express, offering a discounted price for comics ready to hit the shelves. Examples of the prices you may encounter are February's Backroll number 17 and Birds of Prey number 17, both for $2.69. So if you're looking for vintage back issues or a great modern subscription service, be sure to check out MileHighComics.com. So it's the third year, or we've just completed the third year, and of course I can't celebrate this alone, so I have my dearest friends, Joshua Bertoni. So dear that, that it took you a second to pronounce my last name. Well, <laughs> I was thinking about how... I'm near and dear to your heart, but not your pronunciation. Oh, gosh. And Donovan Morgan Grant. There. We're, Is that equal? We're so close that you didn't le- let me leave after the last episode. I've been chained to your room all week. It's true, people. He's actually in a cage, like Nightfall had. The shippers are going crazy! <laughs> oh, gosh. Oh, boy. Somebody help me. So, how has how how has your year been? Hmm, that's a very good question. Well, it's a very depressing question. <laughs> you know how my year's been. <laughs> no, no, it hasn't been all bad. <laughs> I mean, well, Josh, you can talk about all of your new upgrades because last year when we were doing this, you were out on the street corner. I think outside of Starbucks, because it closed, there's a homeless man talking to you about things. We're very worried for you. I forgot so about that. Yes, so now what do you have? Oh, yes, yes. This is, I'm breaking in. Um, see, um, I've, I've Skyped from, uh, as a veteran podcaster, I've, uh, you know, Skyped from my home for many years. But last year, I had to make a lot of cutbacks financially. And as a result, um, home Wi-Fi was a luxury that I couldn't afford. So, um I was uh, podcasting at a lady friend's house when she had Wi-Fi. I was podcasting at Starbucks, at Denny's, and all these different places. I could make, like, a list around town. Like, there was a TBU episode. I recorded, like, part of it outside of a recreation center using their Wi-Fi. Like, not plugged in, you know, avoiding the rain. Lots of crazy adventures. But I now have home Wi-Fi. Um, again, for the first time in over a year, and to celebrate, um, I bought a new and improved headset with that. I have no clue how it sounds, but Don and Stella say that it sounds better, so uh, yeah. I guess that's a good way to end the podcasting year. And Don, any upgrades? For you? Did anything happen? Did you lose a best friend to me? No, I lost what? a pet to you. Yeah, a pet, yeah. You stole my pet. You damn near stole my family. <laughs> And you stole my brother's room. <laughs> yeah. Um, but also, uh, I guess because it is December, I might as well, you know, whore myself out and say that by this time, by this month, I have been doing the Next Dimension and Dragon Ball Z podcast for a solid year now. So that's kind of fun. Uh, I do it with Jesse Garrett. But also, I've been having fun, you know, on the Batman universe with you and Dustin and Joe. And, you know, I've... What else have we been doing? We've been going through these wacky bat books. We've been going through Night of the Owls, Court of Owls, uh, Death of the Family. We've kind of just started that. And we've basically been 
you know, roaming through these bat wars together as a family until the next crossover. Family, exactly. Yep. Yeah, so it's been a while. We went to San Diego together. That we did. Yep. And we went into the hot tub with owl masks on. (laughs) (laughs) Guys, you were like, hey, we'll be right down in a minute. You go ahead. So I went ahead with my owl mask and like I had so many people staring at me and I didn't take it off, but like eyes wide shut. Who's this guy in a hot tub with an owl mask? And I'm like, I'm so self conscious right now. These two better get down here fast. (laughs) I mean and what were the two of them doing while while I was while I was waiting for them to get down? That's for the shippers to decide, right? It takes a long time to get ready, so I was just waiting for him. Well, I I think you might be exaggerating just a couple of hours, I don't know. Oh gosh! And of yeah. course the Gail Bone interview. Um, yeah, which, that uh, you got. Yeah. Yeah, uh, you know, God rest her soul. Um, <laughs> oh my God. As we all know, she's dead. No, she's just she's, well, gone she's, from the she's, she's not dead. She's merely. Um, in fact, has this been brought up on BTO yet? Vaguely. No. Well, yeah, I guess on the uh, the roundtable that we did part two, but. Yeah. You want to talk about that since this is your show, or maybe you want to see? We could, yeah, if you want. And Josh, should be interesting to hear your thoughts on this. Yeah, it's, um, I guess, exposition, you know, for those listeners, you know, who don't read websites like Batgirl the Oracle, Batman Universe, Comic Book Resources, Newsarama, or Bleeding Cool, Gail Simone uh, was apparently, uh, she's off of Batgirl, which, like, my first reaction is yay. Um, so, sorry, Gail Simone fans, really, but... Uh, uh, it turns out that she was let go, though, through an email, and there has been, like, a lot of reactions to that online, because I guess a lot of people are upset that the way that DC treated her, and I've got to be honest, I did not like her on the book, but if she if she had to leave it, I wouldn't want it to be like this, because that is a very horrible thing to do to a person, but it seems like... We don't know the whole story, but it's crazy. There's an article on Bleeding Cool about all these creators who, like, came to her aid. It's uh, it's nuts. Yeah, uh, I guess tomorrow would have been a week, because I remember I got the, we got the message, um, Josh and I, when we were recording Spider-Man Crawl Space, um, which you can find. At, no, I'm not going to do that. But um, it was interesting <laughs> because there was a rumor a couple of weeks ago whether she was leaving the book, and she said, no, that's just a rumor I'm not. And I know that, like... Um, this past, not this past Wednesday, but two Wednesdays ago, whenever this is being recorded, which basically is pointless because when this is out, it'll be a diff- different date. Like, that's when she got the news. And, like like Josh said, to this, to this, at the time of this recording, we don't know why she was let go. I don't know if it's because of sales or what. I really, I really don't. Um, and we'll probably get into it more on the Batman Universe comic cast. Mm-hmm. But, uh, yeah, I, yeah, my, my initial reaction was like, thank God, because... Ever since I joined TBU, I really have just not liked her style of writing. I think there are worse writers, but just her style and the way she writes back the Batgirl title specifically, I've just not been my cup of tea. All that being said, I have nothing against her, uh, you know, on a personal level. Not that I should. But, um, you know, I, she always seemed like a very nice person. And um, I, I, I've enjoyed her on other titles. So it's kind of a shame that, like, she's been treated because she is a very celebrated DC writer. The fact that she's been treated so shabbily by DC kind of adds another notch in the whole New 52 controversies in terms of how the creators have been treated. And um, I think we'll, we'll be talking about a lot of interesting things in the weeks to come. 
And whatever happened to her, you know, there she's apparently scripted whole issues that aren't going to be used. I guess um, I haven't read the quote, but Don said that yeah. she mentioned that she wrote the stu- that she wrote the story that explains why Barbara's walking again. Yeah. But now it's not going to be published. So. <sighs> I don't know how petty this thing is, or I don't know if it's creative differences, but DC would rather, you know, pay a new writer money to write a new story rather than publish the story that they already have. Yeah. That's already been paid for. It's like, it's, I mean, pure economics, just publish the story. And I think that like with Gail Simone's run ending, Fans at least need that closure to find out, like, why Barbara's walking again. The whole first run of the title, you know, like, Gail Simone's whole run, that is that is not going to be resolved. And that is way too long, and I'm disappointed about that. Yeah. What do you think, I, Well, I think in the words of the hangman killer in uh, Dark Victory, none of you are safe. And I think that this... Uh, certainly goes to prove because I think if if anyone would have said you know when some of these creators were being like oh that hey guess what this is going to happen to Gail Simone too I don't think any of us would believe it and I'm sort of uh, sick at heart that we're losing female creators as well we're sort of losing that piece of it of course I, I wasn't enjoying her run so I'm hopeful that we'll get a, a good person on there I think someone jokingly said well, about Scott Snyder and. I I respect him, and I like him as a writer, but I feel like we need to get back to a lighter and more fun Batgirl, and I think that's just going to keep us sort of in the dark territory and perhaps even throw us even further down the rabbit hole. So I kind of want to see someone that's going to have fun with the character and really bring her back to her roots. Uh, but I do agree with you, the fact that there are stories already written, why aren't we putting those up? Ugh. Because you're going to have to yeah. pay somebody new yeah. and like take time. and Spend more money. Gonna- yeah, that, yeah, you're spending more money just because you're mad at Gail Simone. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, you know what would be, would be interesting as a replacement writer, and this will never happen, but like just to kind of spitball an idea out, if Grant Morrison wrote it, because I think Grant Morrison actually Ugh. has. No, I'm, I'm serious. Like, I don't think he'll you know, be like you know, Batgirl R.I.P. But I think Grant Morrison has a real appreciation for like the like the the Silver Age. I was mm-hmm. that's apparent. So I think that like he would write like a, a pseudo modern take on Batgirls, like you know. Like like the books we're going to review tonight, it would be sort of like that kind of updated. I think that would be interesting. Yeah, could be. Um, I think I don't remember who I said this to, but it, it might have been to you guys on the phone a few nights ago. Actually, uh, Tom DeFalco's with DC now, and Spider Girl right. was like it did a very good job of like a female protagonist in a in a long ongoing series with a strong supporting cast mm-hmm. and you never got the sense that like you know spider girl was being stupid or whatever now granted you cannot take a lot of the marvel and and spider-man world sensibilities to a batman title but it is a start and we have seen that tom defalco can do like you know young protagonist books good he um i enjoyed his green goblin series the one about the guy who's now a villain and I don't know. I'd be curious to see what he could do with Barbara Gordon. I, really, I'd like to see Chuck Dixon back, but that is yeah, never going yeah. to happen. That'd be great. Yeah, I guess we'll see. As long as it's not Scott Lobdell, I think we'll be okay. Are we excited, it's, generally, that, that Gail Simone's not going to be the writer anymore, or are we just sad in general? I think that they should have uh, handled her exit a lot better. Yeah. I... Uh, I mean, I'm I'm glad that it's. But I mean, I'm not reading the book, so honestly, except for like stuff like this, so it is irrelevant to me almost. But I was not enjoying her Batgirl book when I was reading it. Right. 
And I, I feel two-faced because I interviewed her and everything. And, you know, I'm sorry, Gail, wherever you are out there. I just couldn't dig it. Keep yeah. it real. It's not for everyone. Yeah. So I guess we'll see. We can only hope that 2013 brings better Batgirl stories. Uh, but until that time, we have, you know, the 70s and uh, to keep, well, yeah, basically the 70s to keep us happy. So basically, this is a reviews-only episode. Bad's in the Tube's going to be part two, where we are going to do a commentary on... Oh, yes. Uh, the Batman and Robin movie, the film, <laughs> which is basically the first live-action, well, in film, form of a Barbara-esque character. <laughs> Barbara-esque character. Uh, I know that people absolutely despise this film. I actually have to say that there's a special place in my heart for this film, and I really loved it uh, when I saw it. I, I Remember renting it and watching it like a couple times that time that I rented it. So I'm excited to watch it with these two. And Josh, even though he hasn't seen it apparently for a decade, was quoting things left and right. Not a decade. It's been three years. Okay. Well, he knows everything. So we'll see. It should be interesting. The the last time I saw it was when I did the TBU commentary for it in 2009. And that was probably my first time seeing it in a decade. But like, I can't wait. just random things like put Batman and Robin flashbacks in my head like I don't know I think like one of the kids was playing a video game this week and he's like I can make this and I'm like and I'm thinking in my head pull back I can make it <laughs> pull back I can make it Redbird controls oh god yeah! <laughs> oh my gosh oh god I can't wait I'm so oh, excited for that and gossip Gertie <laughs> Uh, of course, all the Bane jokes that we'll be making now that Dark Knight Rises is no, out. Oh, that's very true. Very it's very true. relevant. Burn. Bane, darling. Oh, man. Well, shall we, uh, shall we get into the reviews? Oh, yes. Oh, now I want to do Batman and Robin after all that, but yeah, let's do these reviews. <laughs> that's what we tease, and then we pull back a little bit. That's how we tease rolls. Very, very flirty that way. <laughs> Flirty, the shippers. <laughs> yeah, first we have Detective Comics 486 and 47, and then Don is going to give us background number 14, and then I'll round out with Birds of Prey number 14. I got the short end of the stick here. Yes, we have Detective Comics uh, number 486. Story by Jack C. Harris, art by Don Heck and Joe Gaia. Lettering by Ben Oda, coloring by Gene D'Angelo, editor Paul Levitz. Paul Levitz was editor then. Wow. Interesting. Crime calls. Kill him off. (laughs) And you can just handle the synopsis since you're already here. No. (laughs) (laughs) Killer Moth stares at a headline of his last battle with Batgirl and begins talking to himself about things that he already knows. (laughs) Apparently, um, his shtick right now is he wants to be crime's uh, protector. You know, like, protect criminals and help out criminals in, like, little Robin Hood ways, I guess. But gosh darn, Batgirl's ruining it. Meanwhile, some weird fatso is in Barbara's office telling her that she sucks at her job and he's going to go have lunch. And when she comes back, she better know how to do her job. (laughs) That's what happens. He's like, you're obviously not paying attention to me. Let's try this again after lunch. (laughs) Then in walks in um, plot device. um, You know, let's call him Don Hazley. (laughs) Apparently he hitchhiked all the way to Washington, D.C. to get Congresswoman Gordon involved in a police investigation of his father's murder. More on that later. 
Fatso Mick Shut Up guy says that that is so contrived, and hey, why should we care about this kid? He can't even vote. Barbara just sends this guy in his merry way, because, like, you know, why is he still here, and how how is he holding an elected office? The young kid wants to stay with Barbara until everything could be sorted out, but luckily he babs a voice, the potential scandal of, like, a 12-year-old child staying overnight at a congresswoman's house, and drops him off at a hotel. Nearby, a robbery is occurring, and the crooks are surrounded by the police when Batgirl arrives to aid in their capture. But luckily for the crooks, Killer Moth has also arrived thanks to a hidden moth signal that summoned him. Killer Moth gets away in his mothmobile with the crooks on the back of it, but Batgirl is able to knock the crooks off at the last minute, capturing them. Babs goes back to the kid's hotel and talks to him, and he randomly, like, mentions... Oh, yeah, you know, my dad used to work for a guy named Van Clear. I didn't tell you about that when we spoke about um, this earlier for hours, as the narration box says. And Batgirl's like, oh, no, no, well, she's Barbara at this point. Barbara's like, Sacre Bleu, that's it. She runs to the police station, and um, I had to read this sequence more than once because it wasn't clear what happened. Like, the the crooks are in jail. They're like, it's our constitutional rights. What are you doing? And there's a close-up on their bare feet. And I'm like, Why? Why? What the kid had explained to Barbara is, is that her dad was um, working for a shoemaker, and that made him real. Ooh, shoemaker, shoemaker. It's all going to tie together. Oh, no. Um, and it made her realize that Van Clear is one of uh, Killer Moth's aliases. So she realized that the crooks were were basically summoning Killer Moth through a hidden moth signal in their shoes. And then Killer Moth does some exposition to himself like, yes, it was I who made those shoemakers make the moth signal in the shoes. And then I killed them. Well, ha ha, I killed them. Oh, what the heck? One of my signals is going off. So Batgirl, who has stolen the shoes uh, from the crooks, sets up a sting operation where um, she's in the back of a cop car. The signal's lit. Killer Moth hijacks the cop car, and he's like, are you one of the Bolton family? Batgirl comes out, no, I'm one of the, turns to the camera, Batman family. A title that has now been canceled. It's true. So, Killer Moth is captured. The kid is is happy that, you know, his dad's murder has been avenged, although he doesn't really seem to, like, upset about the murder of his dad. He's like, oh boy, when I grow up, I'm going to vote for you and for Batgirl. And, and Barbara thinks, little does he know, that he'll be voting for the same person. Either way, I win. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And that's why I'm the kingpin. Oh, gosh. <laughs> awesome. Little does he know that, you know, that Batgirl does not run for public office, and if Barbara ran for public office against Batgirl, it would be a huge conflict of interest. But... Hello, Daredevil. Yeah, right. Yeah, there is something. I'll bring something up about that uh, because it sort of has to do with the next issue later. But um, I actually, I liked this issue. What I found pretty interesting is the fact that Killer Moth right now is very different from the Killer Moth that we've known in the pre-New 52 universe because I feel like there, you know, back year, year one and everything, uh, the criminal underworld sort of looks down at Killer Moth and laughs at him. But here they're actually running, you know, to have him help them out and everything. And so for he's him to... joke. Well, well, I mean, he's not perfect, but the fact that he does have some paying customers that are, you know, hey, help us out. I they're thought not, that was pretty interesting. They've not re- yet realized how silly he is. Yeah, I'm surprised they didn't do their background checking when they gave him money to see what his hit and miss ratio is with superheroes. 
I, I thought it was I thought it was cool. Like I thought that because I've not read these kind of Batgirl comics in a long time. I think the idea of Barbara Gordon as a congresswoman is really interesting in that it's a very like you know this secret identity was a very prestigious job, and then she's a superhero. And if you think about it too long, it's a little huh. But you know, I was like you know what this is kind of cool for Babs to kind of you know. Be that be that that good at what she does, both in and out of the costume. Because I was kind of like, you know, I'm listening to the show, but I'm not really been used to reading it for myself. So when she's finding like, you know, this costume guy named Killer Moth, who's a very silly, it's a very silly costume and character. Yeah. But it was it was it was enjoyable. I like the idea that like Babs, people go up to Babs in her in her own identity and try to look for help one way. That's that's how her congresswoman status or her congresswoman job kind kind of you know. It's a nice. It's sort of like Daredevil in that you know it's a nice way for her to get involved without you know it being contrived. Like I'm here to visit the police station's uh, party or whatever, and then I'm Batgirl. Like it's more, it's more logical. And I thought that like they did a, g- a good job in this issue of sort of demonstrating the benefits of that. And it was actually I was actually kind of surprised how short it was, but um, I, I, I mean, it was nice and simple, and I kind of enjoyed it. My issue was. Uh... I enjoyed this story, and Killer Moth's whole thing about, like, the protector of crime, it's it's silly, but it is interesting. It's, mm-hmm. like, it's something kind of new, and even in, like, this modern day and age, like, you don't see that, and, like, yeah, you know, criminals would want their own protector, so I could see Killer Moth, this, like, wannabe guy trying to carve out a name for himself, you know, settling into that niche. This kid, <laughs> without the knowledge of his mother hitchhikes all the way to Washington, D.C., and Barbara doesn't immediately call his mother. She's like, you know, let's set you up at this hotel first. Like, the the police are probably, like, looking for this kid all over the place, and okay, (laughs) if your father was murdered and the police jumbled the case, would you hitchhike to Washington, D.C. and go to a random congressperson that you saw in the newspaper? That was, like, such a contrived way to get Barbara involved in the story. Yeah, why would you go to uh, a... uh... Go to the governor Egg. in your own state, or some, or Batman. Yeah, why not? Light, 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 the, light the bad signal, yeah. or or again, like of all the politicians to get, you got to get the one that's like not in the state, like Congress people. Like this is way out of Barbara's jurisdiction. This is not like what I mean. I don't really know too much about politics, but I know enough to know like this isn't what a congressperson does. You yeah. investigate murders. Yeah, you you go to like the mayor or something. Or, yeah, exactly. Congress people aren't like Scooby Doo in the gang, like hanging out all day solving <laughs> mysteries. Oh boy. <laughs> all the way. I mean, and I guess you could say that. And okay, and another big coincidence in the story is like this kid happens to go to Washington D.C. at the same time as Killer Moth, the murderer of his father, is like you know doing his plots there. Like the kids thing and the killer moth thing are both happening independently of each other and they come together at the end that is a mighty big coincidence that like making killer moth the murder of his father you gotta go with that in the bronze age I guess Yeah. and I like the other aspects of the story and um, I do like the kind of detective aspect of it like Barbara figuring out like the whole shoes thing and stealing the shoes from the criminals I, I don't know why they couldn't wear socks though yeah, I don't know. Uh, yeah, nor- if you don't wear socks, your shoes normally get really extra stinky. Yes. I just, yeah. I well, just thought. They're I crooks. Like- <laughs> Who needs socks when you're a criminal? Garg. Uh, but he reminded me, Killer Moth reminded me of James Bond in here with like these signal devices in their shoes. I thought, wow, it's like a super spy racket. Is it Aston Martin Killer Moth DB5? Yes. Okay. Could be good. Uh, I have a question, oh, though. Go ahead. Yeah? Well, um, in this issue, it might be because of, like the inking. 
but it looked to me that like Barbara was in her black costume, and the next issue she's yep. in, she's in a gray costume. And again, I'm not sure if they, that was that's intentional or if it's because of the way the inks look. But is does that happen often where she kind of switches costumes? I'd say it's all about the inking. Yeah, but at least in the narration, uh, they pointed out that you know the black costumed um, Daredevil comes through. Like that was mentioned in there. Yeah. This is during the days when Barbara that's, Gordon had the alien black costume. I was thinking the exact same thing. Yeah, and sometimes her eyes are green, and sometimes they're not. So it's very. Sometimes she has the collar around her neck to sort of, so she can flip out of her. Um, yeah. What she's wearing, uh, and sometimes she has to actually rip off her clothes like she did in that. Well, in the next issue, so it's very yeah, up and back and forth, I guess. No, I don't. I don't care for the collar. That kind of looks too. Yeah, dated. I don't like it as much either. It's like oh, running around in heels. I do enjoy the um, the fact that they intertwined Babs's life together, which I guess is sort of the the convenience that Josh was talking about. But there have been a couple a couple issues where the stories really tackle both her congresswoman life and Batgirl's life, and so I like that that happened here as well. It was it was it was simple. It was like you know. Uh, Babs, Gordon, you're the only person who can help. No, I know someone even better. Batgirl, that kind of like, you know, real old school way to kind of set it up. Because I've listened to the episodes and they they've kind of continued with these like, you know, two and three part stories, which kind of feel a lot, lot more, for lack of a better phrase, thought out. And this mm-hmm. one felt like a really like like simple one and done where she goes up against her worst enemy ever, Killer Moth. Yeah. Who she always fights and hates. Oh, gosh. Well, what are your grades on this particular issue? I'll 10. give it a B. It's the coincidences are like really nutty, but like, you know, I, I gotta, I gotta remember what era this is and, and, and cut them a little slack. You should also remember what grading skill this is. Yes, you should also remember <laughs> what show you're on. <laughs> I know. Um, so it's out of ten bats. I'll ten give it. Um, <laughs> I'll give it seven out of ten corrupt congressmen. Wow. Okay, seven out of ten. Yeah, I'll give it. I'll give it seven. Uh, probably not even that. That, but it was, it was fun enough. If you, if you know what you're going into, it's fun. So I'll give it seven out of ten bats and not batarangs. And I, yeah, I know. And and I give it eight out of ten bats. Okay. What was like? What was like the like the best thing you thought about in the issue that, like the number one pro? The number one pro for me? Well, I really do like uh, Killer Moth. So seeing him. Again, was great, even though that seems to be the only supervillain, unless it's Cavalier, that they put her up against. If it's not him, then it's going to be, like, basically mob people or street thugs, which is what we see in the next one. So it's interesting that he's the only one that they'll let her use and not any other Batman foes. Uh, But I liked that he he was smarter here, and you kind of had to give him some respect and... He was trying to be the pre-calculator. He was almost trying to be the cal- like the go-to guy for all of the the yeah. bad guys. So I, I liked that. Well, that's what I was thinking that like because uh, I remember the last time that we were on the show reviewing these these um, old issues, it was very like low key, which which you know was interesting. But the fact that you mentioned that she's going up against only this in the Cavalier and not, I mean other other villains is interesting. I'm, I, hmm, I wonder what that is. Yeah. Well, shall we go on to the next? And go on we shall. The daughter of Gotham's police commissioner, Barbara Gordon, fights for justice on two fronts. As a congresswoman, and as the domino dared all named Batgirl. 
The title is The Case of the Campaign Crimes. Writer Jack C. Harris, Dick Giordano, and Steve Mitchell are the artists. Ben Oda is the letterer. Adrian Roy is the colorist. And Paul Levitz edited this. Campaign crimes, you say? Well, Barb, that girl and Barbara Gordon are both back in Gotham so that, so that they can campaign for another term in Congress. But what's this? Instead of campaigning, she's running to a TV studio? Oh boy, she must want to get an autograph. But wait, she's ruining the broadcast. She's knocking over a camera. That wench. Oh, <laughs> turns out that the camera was firing bullets at her opponent uh, in, in the whole Congress race, Della. Batgirl saved her life. Whoops. Batgirl then changes to Barbara Gordon so she can engage in a political debate with the woman she just saved. Mm -hmm. So Babs and Della, who um, I hypothesize is later going to marry Felix later. Oh, gosh. And have a long honeymoon. (laughs) (laughs) They have a debate about the symptoms of crime and the handling of crime. When a man named Doyle watches the debate on TV, distressed that his distressed that his assassination attempt has failed one of his henchmen is like begging him come on you gotta let me finish you know finish our target off before they talk you gotta and at first i was confused like wait are they talking about finishing off the cameraman who you know who's now like under police investigation or are they talking about finishing off one of the congress people but that's cleared up at the end because i was confused by the dialogue based on something that happens later Post-debate, you know, Babs is being, um, Babs and Della are being interviewed by the TV cameras, and Babs is like, oh, come on, they're obviously after me. They only accidentally almost shot Della, because obviously I'm the one that the criminals want to kill. And then, while the two Congress people are arguing about it, Della gets shot in the hat, and <laughs> Della's like, aha, they were after me, after all, man, and then, and then, and So, you know, unconcerned about the fact that she almost just died, Barbara changes into Batgirl, goes after the criminal, who um gets away, the sniper guy, gets away by throwing his suitcase at her. I thought this was going to be an important plot point, like there'd be a clue in the suitcase, but there wasn't. The police commissioner, a.k.a. Uh, Barbara's father, Commissioner Gordon, shows up. <laughs> who is he AKA, Yeah. Well, she's back in, she's no longer in Washington, D.C., where there was a different commissioner who wasn't her father, who we probably never met. <laughs> and uh, in a scene that I like, they privately talk um, in the police car amongst the two of them about this case. There's no new information learned, but like, apparently, when Commissioner Gordon uses the word manager, that's enough for Barbara to put the pieces together. Manager, of course, that's it. Dad, you're a genius. Gotta go. Batgirl bursts into campaign quarters, and instead of knocking over cameras, you know, punches the manager in the face and, like, takes off his wig. And it turns out that Gary Chase, manager of Della's campaign, is really Roger Dahl. His plan was to... Okay. Yeah, this was... Let's do it now. Yeah, his plan was to disguise as someone else so he can be close So. To disguise as the opponent's manager so he can get close to Barbara Gordon... Like, let me say this again. He was disguising as the campaign manager for Della so he can get close to Barbara so that Barbara can protect him from uh, the mob. Because apparently he's a mob guy who wants to, like, defect because they're trying to kill him. More on that in the... What do you you mean it's convoluted? Yeah, what do you mean? Yeah, (laughs) this isn't like a child hitchhiking, you know, to Washington, (laughs) D.C. So that Scooby-Doo and the Congress gang can, you know, solve the murder of his father. (laughs) So over the next few days, uh, 
uh, Barbara uses Dole's info to wage a one-woman war on crime, but she realizes that she's neglected her campaign in the progress. When she goes to a newsstand and she sees that uh, Dell is leading in the polls, she buys the newspaper and rips it up, causing the like uh, newspaper guy to be like, oh, what a laugh. She pays 20 cents and rips up the paper and <laughs> leaves it on the floor, doesn't even bother to throw it out. Like, you know, great anti-pollution stands, Bob's Boots Gordon. Oh, gosh. Doyle is pacing his apartment, like, you know, wondering about this whole war on crime thing, and he sees a message on his mirror from Batgirl saying, you're next. Barbara then goes to her campaign headquarters, and there's people cheering for her, and she's disappointed that the turnout that she has on election night is not as big as she wanted. She gets in front of the cameras and says, I apologize for being late. All I can tell you is that the war against crime is never ending one, even on election day. (laughs) The speech makes her hoarse, and the ring of applauding crowd does not sound as enthusiastic as in the past. And as the evening wears on, the congresswoman realizes that it will be a long night and perhaps not a happy one. Yep. The end. Does she, uh, does she not get elected again? Do we know that? Um, I know that eventually she doesn't get elected again. I read these stories a long time ago. I don't remember if this is when she loses or not. And we mustn't spoil for future episodes. Oh, sorry about that. <laughs> you talk She's still a congresswoman to this day. <laughs> yeah, it's true. Even in the New 52 when she's like, you uh, know. It's not true. <laughs> yeah. That's not true. Well, what are your initial thoughts on this particular one? Was it too too convoluted to be a good story? This wasn't as full of like the coincidences as the last one was. Um, actually, I find it interesting, like, the timeline. It's all, we, we've had two years of her in Congress, which works, but, like, even pre-New 52, the timeline was getting so condensed that, like, I think it's, like, 1967 or 1969 where Dick Grayson goes to Hudson University, and obviously, like, we're past that. Yeah. Yeah. 69. And, um... By the time of, like, you know, the mid-80s New Teen Titans books, he's only 19 years old. So you're to assume that a year, maybe two years, has passed since then, like, graduation in, like, the 80s. But here, like, Babs became a congresswoman, like, after Dick already went away to college. And, like, her two years are already up, so I find that interesting. I love the conversation between her and Commissioner Gordon, where, like, she's Batgirl, because that is something that, like, we don't see a lot in these old Batgirl stories, like her and her dad, you know powwowing about you know the crime stuff together Mm -hmm. and i was very confused when they're like okay we have to silence them before they talk so i were on my recap that they were like going after the cameraman to kill him but then when they went after the congresswomen and i i was confused like wait i thought they were going after the camera guy and i checked you know the dialogue again but now i see it makes sense because they were going after um the roger dole guy right his plan why didn't he just go to go to the like? He yeah, was yeah, exactly. <laughs> What's his end game? So we can get close to Barbara and say, "Hey, Barbara, you know, can you help me?" Why didn't he just go to her and say, "Hey, Barbara, can you help me?" You know, like because obviously ten-year-old boys can do it. Like, <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> and, I, yeah, I and he's the campaign manager, so he's campaigning against her. He's basically like neutering the woman, like stripping her of her power to help him. I really don't know. I have no explanation for that. Yeah, I'm afraid I can't help you there either. That was the one thing that sort of set me back as well. Because I liked that the reveal of who the intended target was came as a shock to me. Because I wondered why Babs thought it was her at any point. Because it was clear that it it must have been Ziggler 
or aka the future Mrs. Felix Leiter, because <laughs> went on to live a long and happy life. Uh, not too long though, because the cameraman began firing at Ziegler, or so we thought, before Babs even tackled him. Uh, so I thought that that was a, a great reveal, but really, yeah, I had no idea. So I think the quote that Babs says, "Mister, you have got to be kidding," um, yeah. was a great quote. You know that you're asking for protection after you put all these people's lives in danger. I thought that was like, yeah, that's exactly what we're feeling right now. You know, I actually kind of, I like this uh, better than the last one because I like how they have Barbara Gordon having this sort of ongoing, you know, development of her life in that she has a job, she's running for the Congress, she's not just a superhero. And I thought this was a lot more, you know, like I mentioned like the, the stories last year were a lot more low-key. And I like when she fights supervillains, but I like the fact that her civilian life again you know involves the mob and it involves like you know mm-hmm. politicians and stuff like that because i think it legitimizes her character in a really n- unique way which i don't see it with a lot of other characters whether they are male or female and um i kind of i like like I, like josh said, i like the the uh conversation between her and gordon and i like the the sort of somber ending because it felt believable to me it felt like that sort of like uh you know uh, relatable Peter Parker esque kind of quality that you know Babs doesn't always just win. She's she, you know she, she she lives this life you know she's trying to do her best but she's not always like you know a one hundred percent rate kind of crime fighter. Right. But you know she she does what she can she does what she can so I thought this was actually very good. Um, now the guy's plot. <laughs> see, it's really hard for me to really care that much about these st- stupid villain plots in this this day and age because that's half the fun of reading these old issues. Um, unless unless it involved him, I don't know, riding on a skateboard. I, I, I wouldn't have minded if he did anything else. Uh, he does kind of look like the Dean from Community, but... Oh, I, gosh. I, <laughs> what? I, I found this pretty... Uh, uh, <laughs> I need to check that again. <laughs> page 63. But uh, I found this pretty enjoyable overall. I, I felt it was a lot more... It was... <laughs> <laughs> and that is something that the Dean from Community would do, like, as an excuse to dress up in outlandish costumes. Like, why didn't you just go to me? I wanted to dress in my outlandish costume. But he would have had, like, a lot of puns about, like, the word Dean in there. I mean, but I thought this was, like, a very solid issue. I, I thought that, like, it was just a lot more interesting to read for me personally. Like, it had a lot more stakes for Barbara than it did for, mm-hmm. for you, know, you know, a simple Batgirl, title, a back, a Batgirl tale. It was a lot more to dig into. I liked how this sort of parallels some things that we've seen with Bruce a lot. Uh, just the fact that Bruce really focuses, or there are sometimes that he really focuses on his, and I think we quote this a lot, sort of this one person war on crime. And he sort of loses track of his other parts of the life, um, of his life. So, you know, I just read Dark Victory and I just read Long Halloween again. Good on and you for doing that. Yeah, and and he really focuses on these cases, and so does Jim's uh, Jim Jim. Go- oh no, I remember that sound. Uh, <laughs> and when they focus on this, they start losing sort of the people they love. Like Bruce, Selena decides, you know, why am I putting up with this? And then in the end, uh, Barbara in Dark Victory, we find out that she left with James Jr. to go to Chicago. And so to see that Babs lost track of everything, uh, having to do with the election anyways, because she was waging her one-person war on crime, I thought that that was great, just pointed in and seeing that, yeah, she also has that with her. I agree. It's it's, it's fun seeing this, you know, just like how they they develop. I like this era of Batman in general. Like, you know, you see Adventures of Dick in college, you see Bruce... Mm -hmm. Handling the business side, you see, even Alfred has these has these wacky adventures in an elevator. So, it's fun that they've really. It's not just 
Barbara Gordon is Batgirl and she fights the villains. It's, you know, their lives. And I think this is a really fun era of uh, the comics and Batgirl is ind- indicative of that. Mm-hmm. So my thing, I, I, I mentioned I was going to bring something up from the previous. Don't you think uh, Batgirl could have randomly appeared at a pref conference, press conference or something and, and gave her approval of Babs and said, you know, Congresswoman Gordon is waging a war on crime, and as a crime fighter, I, you know, I throw my hat in for her, and maybe Babs's approval rating would have gone up. Do you think that that would have been just like a crazy stunt that you would have laughed at if that would have happened, or could that have been? That's what happened last time. That's what happened. (laughs) Can't she do it again? Babs Gordon is a okay. She winks and there's a thumbs up at the camera. Why? You might even say that a vote for Babs Gordon is a vote for Batgirl. (laughs) (laughs) Well, you know, it's funny because I was thinking about that, and um, I remember I was listening to like like Fat Man on Batman, which is you know Kevin Smith's podcast where he interviews people who've worked on Batman. And Paul Dini had mentioned that in the animated series, whenever Batgirl was a lot more of a full-time character, uh, they would have uh, her not appear in the same scene as Commissioner Gordon, or if she did, she would be, like, off in the shadows to where she would, you know, kind of, you know, not be really seen next to Commissioner, so he, would, he wouldn't figure her out. So the idea of her running on, on in, camera, in front of a camera saying, vote for Babs Gordon, yeah. is really silly, but I probably still would, I, I wouldn't, I couldn't, I couldn't bear <laughs> to hate that. But she did that. last time. <laughs> I know she did. It's a lot like that Golden Age story of Batman, where like it's a, Bruce Wayne's an A-OK. Take my word for it, Batman. Well, after after she gets the Batgirl endorsement, then Della gets like Felix Leiter and James Bond and Wonder Woman. I guess yeah, it all works on the end, except for her. I don't know why Wonder Woman. Yeah. <laughs> Barbara calls Sanchez and says, "I have a job. <laughs> I have a job for you." Uh, yeah. Believe me, this is nothing personal. It's only business. <laughs> So, people, if you're not following this, this, these are references to the Timothy Dalton James Bond license to kill. <laughs> it's about 50th anniversary. Why not? Yeah. I know, but yeah. how many pe- I don't know how many people know <laughs> what, what's going on right now. Who cares? <laughs> it involves someone losing their legs, and they don't get them back in a Gail Simone way. Yeah. Well There's a shark tank involved, people. It's gruesome. Gail Simone actually wrote the story where Felix Leiter, you know, gets his legs back and gets his wife back. It just hasn't been published. And it never will be, people. It never will be. There was a there was a miracle cure for Della's honeymoon. Oh my gosh. Okay. <laughs> so what are your grades for this issue out of ten bats? I would give this uh eight out of ten bats. I liked it a lot. I'll go ahead and give it um a eight out of ten. It's. I think I. Even though I gave the last story a lower grade, but that was just because of some of the coincidences. I do think I like the other story more, but this one had some good moments that like made it better crafted overall. Like I, I love the scene with Jim, and I love the whole Congress angle. And I think I, I would give it a slightly higher score. I'd give it an eight point five out of ten for me. But again, I like just the live her lives being intertwined, and yeah, seeing pops drive all the way. <laughs> from Gotham was great to see and and now we're just hanging on the edge wondering whether she's going to be re-elected or not but we'll have to find that out next month uh, because right now we have uh, well we're in our time machine our hot tub time machine with our talent masks on (laughs) and we're going to 2012 and here we are with Batgirl number 14 oh yes 
<laughs> it's funny that you mentioned that, you know, Babs and Batgirl's lives are intertwining. That actually kind of happens in this issue. Death of the Family Part something. Batgirl number 14, written by Gail part Simone. <laughs> written by Gail Simone, illustrated by Ed Benes and Daniel Sampier. Inked by Vicente Sufrentes. Uh, this issue opens off with the last issue ended with Babs screaming into the phone receiver, Mom! Mom! Because she was talking to her mother and then she was attacked. Um, she starts to freak out and try to c- collect her thoughts. Then she gets a phone call from a mysterious person who's muffling their voice. She assumes it's the Joker and who insinuates that he knows her identity and mentions, you know, a reference to the killing joke because there were some men coming from the front door to get her. So he says, Stay calm. If you alert anyone, we'll never speak again. You collect your mother, mother in separate wet pieces. Now, stay calm, and I want you to make a sandwich. Uh, <laughs> I'm not going to say anything else. So, <laughs> so Babs does that, and uh, the, the, the person on the phone says, There's one more thing. Those linked men, they're coming for you, Barbara. So they kick down the door, and Babs goes into full-on like, like limit-break rage mode because she, she thinks back to the killing joke where she was shot and broken and you know humiliated so she's like uh-uh they ain't happening no more so she starts to <laughs> take these people apart left and right just it's really awesome she does gymnastics and martial arts I, I don't know which kind of style she is but she's completely pissed off she breaks bones breaks legs snaps noses and you know she and she, this is all her out of costume she's only wearing this this man shirt which shows off her legs yeah so um luckily she has underwear on well we assume so <laughs> Well, I thought she does. But um, it's also badass because uh, she's breaking the guy's leg and stepping over it with her legs, which I guess can be instrued as symbolism. So she uh, picks up the Glock and puts it to a guy's facing. Where's my mother? Where is she? Where's my mother? Oh, gosh. Um, and he says, please, the Joker didn't tell us anything. So he receives, she receives uh, more information from the call. And at this point, her roommate Alicia shows up and says, what's going on, Gordon, Barbara Gordon? And Barbara doesn't tell her everything, but she says, all you need to know is, you know, call the cops, say there was a break-in, uh, don't take anything but the cap, but leave the place, and we'll never see each other again. And she leaves Alicia in tears. But don't worry, because she shows up next issue. Um, so Batgirl rides on her Batgirl cycle to the Cherry Hill skate rink. This is where the Joker and um, her mom are, are... This is where the Joker is holding her mother, She's bound and gagged, and the Joker in his, you know, taped face is being very disgusting and creepy. And we see that Babs' mom has her left hand bandaged. So Barbara just goes in, you know, guns a-blazing, so to speak, beats up the henchman, and confronts the Joker. She, he says, I hoped you would show up, my dear. She says, hoped? You gave me the directions by the phone. I've not touched a phone in months, of course, the Joker says. <laughs> so... So, How could you? <laughs> no. So Barbara, in the middle of the standoff with the Joker, uh, I should say Batgirl, picks up her cell phone, and the voice on the phone says, waka, 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 so she figures it's her brother. So the jo- <laughs> or Fozzie Bear. <laughs> <laughs> what? <laughs> <laughs> He's like, I'm sorry I deceived you, Barbara, but I can't very well allow this hideous creature to harm our own mother. <laughs> Barbara. That's, that's, a, that's like a... From, an old horror movie. That's a line. They're coming for you, Barbara. They're coming to get you, Barbara. Stop it! You're ignorant! They're coming for you, Barbara. Stop it! You're acting like a child! Look, they're coming for you! Look! There comes one of them now! 
He'll hear you. Here he comes now. I'm getting out of here. John. Anyway. Just um, sounds so she, like. So she says, my brother, James, my very sick brother, he set me up. My brother sent me here. I guess the Joker, my brother, the Joker, set me up. The Joker, my brother. So the Joker uh, ignores the fact that he's, she's talking on another phone and says, okay, all right, all right, whatever. There's a nail bomb attached to the chair, so, uh, you know, watch out. So he kind of forces her and, and talks about Batman and Commissioner Gordon. And then this issue ends. Initially, I thought it was an homage to the wacky old issues by having her propose, would you do me the great honor of being my blushing bat bride? But then we see that the engagement ring he's holding to propose is attached to her mother's severed finger. Yeah. Next, will Batgirl say, I do? Maybe the end is something straight out of Lois Lane comics. God bless. Oh, it turns out that this was all a plot to teach, you know, to teach everyone a lesson about the safety <laughs> of, like, you know, I don't know, fingers or something. Gosh. It's an homage to Bill Finger. I just, yeah, it's uh, a tribute to Bill Finger. <laughs> oh, boy. Uh, I, and I just remember that Batman the Brave and the Bold episode where Superman's on a date with somebody else. And, Lana. <laughs> and, and Lois walks up to him. It serves you right for all those... Tricks. All those times you tried to trick yep. me. In there. And I, then it flashes back to the about. Yes, I love that. That was so funny. That's the best well, who wants to get started on this thing? It's not a synopsis, and I'm actually interested in hearing what Josh thinks since we've not heard his thoughts. Okay. Um, so when those guys burst into Barbara's apartment, and she has that look on her face, and she goes nuts on them without her costume. Where has this been? Yeah. For real. Yeah. Where has this been? Yeah. This wasn't all like, oh, can I do it? Oh, well, look at me. I'm kicking butt. I can do it all by myself. Can you believe it? And Or or like, oh, no, a gun. I'm so scared. Oh, you know, what will I do? You know, me in this Batgirl costume. This was awesome. I mean, there was, it was a little cheesecakey with the Benis art, obviously, yeah. you know, and like her leg and stuff. But like, it, this was good. Like, she was in full-on rage mode. And you know what? Like, um... 52 continuity, well, I don't know how many of her encounters with the Joker are in continuity now, but obviously, you know, we've had stories pre-New 52 where she's confronted the Joker again, but, like, in this continuity, this is probably her first time doing it, and she was all, like, it's not like she was like, oh, no, is he going to shoot me again, or, oh, no, can I do this? Like, no, you know, she went in there, you know, she was focused on the job at hand, saving her mom, and, like, you know, and this mysterious caller, and it was good stuff. Like, this was... Where has this been? This is what I wanted. Yeah. This this is what I would have been happy with this. And mm -hmm. the whole, like, tying the stuff together with James Jr. And, you know, the cutting off her mom's finger, there is ways to make the Joker, like, sick and, like, you know, scary without having him have to kill, like, a major supporting character like Sarah Essen or Jason Todd. Right. Like, you can have the Joker do stuff like this, and that's a way of raising the stakes without actually, like, you know, killing any important characters. That was cool. I did not like the Barbara Alyssa scene, first of all, because, like, you know, that's, like, my, you know, one true pairing in this book, Barbara and Alyssa, but also, <laughs> the, the, the logic of it was, like, stupid. It's like, you know, oh, obviously, you know, you must go away, Alyssa. We'll never see each other again, and Alyssa breaking down in tears, and just the, it, it was, the dialogue for that was, especially when, like, she and Alyssa are looking at each other, and she's like, hey, Barbara, it's me, Alyssa. 
Of course it's you, Alyssa. You're looking right at her. Like, yeah. I have never said to a friend of mine when we were in the same room looking at each other that, especially if I've seen this person on a regular basis, it's me, Josh. Like, you know my name. Come on. <laughs> you know my name. I just yeah. want to do this. You know my Okay. So I, I like this and the whole pun though, like will Bar Batgirl say I do? Like, does anyone really think she will? Cut to like next issue where like there's a hoax wedding and she's like, Have you seen I the must for the next issue? My... No. <laughs> it's it's literally like 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 you were cordially invited and it shows like on one card Joker on the other on the other end, like Barbara in her costume in a in a wedding dress. <laughs> Oh, does she have the bad veil like in that Batman family issue that we did? No, well, she's she's wearing a costume, then she's wearing like a white wedding dress over it. I now pronounce you. Uh, what was it? Uh, no, no, not it was. Boy, oh, okay. or something? I was thinking of Batman and wife, but that's the Razo Ghoul story. No, I was thinking, yeah. but I now pronounce you. You know, like husband and wife. You till death do you part. Everyone pulls out guns, and Barbara's in the bad veil. <laughs> wow, our bullets disintegrated them to death. <laughs> <laughs> that was a fun story. Oh, dude. Uh, so, I'll, I'll give this 9 out of 10. <laughs> 9 out of 10? You've got to be kidding me, man. <laughs> let's, hear, let's hear it, lady. Well, you know, I, I totally get that whole... Yeah, finally she's kicking butt. She's the Barbara that she should have been from issue number one. I get that. But it takes several pages to even get in that. In the beginning, you know, she's there making her sandwich. She's sitting there bemoaning the fact her mom has been taken. Alaska's symbolically standing above her, and then she decides that she's going to do something. We've got this mysterious voice. She's actually making a sandwich, which I thought was the most idiotic thing. Please make a sandwich. Pour a glass of milk. What kind I of? I thought that was weird. <laughs> it is weird. That made no sense. It, I agree. It, yeah, I don't. And then you know we continue to flash back to killing joke, which still seems to have a psychological effect on her, even though I thought we were over this with grotesque. So I'm a little upset about this. And of course she's fighting her shirt, nothing else. But you know at least when she finally begins to fight, you know the clowns burst into her apartment. She takes off the kid gloves. She even at one point points a gun uh, to a clown's head, and, and I feel like this does show us that perhaps she's ready to get past all of this business and be stronger. But I, I just was upset that it took her so long to actually get there in this one issue, not to mention the entire story. Alicia, yeah, I totally agree with you there, Josh. Seriously. I mean, and then, you, and then Babs leaves her. Well, Babs leaves Alicia, like, very bewildered. There are two unconscious goons in the apartment. She doesn't even tell her to, like, call the police or anything. Just, you won't ever see me ever again. <laughs> <laughs> oh, but... I, I think we fight the power. Oh, <laughs> like she does a fist when she's leaving. <laughs> don't you? Oh, forget about me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Don't, don't. Okay. So Joker has kidnapped Bab Senior, and just like he did Alfred. So I think we're still continuing to question the fact of whether he knows everyone's identity. Oh, yeah. uh, but why else would he cut off that? But you know, her finger and give it to Babs unless he knew that they were mother and daughter. So I do wonder about that. I did like the setting at the roller rink I thought it was fitting and theatrical for Joker and then the sum, the jumpsuit with the name Joe on it I thought that that was fun something that I think may have been a mistake but in one panel you see Babs on the phone in front of Joker 
And then in the next panel, like, it's as if she was never on the phone or never had one with her. So that was a little weird. I feel like that may have been an art issue. But one question, I just wonder why James is even helping her. Why does James care about his mother staying alive? Because in the beginning, uh, well, when we saw all of this, James said, you know, if you don't leave, then worse things are going to happen than me killing Alaska. So I'm wondering what his motive is in all of this. And then, of course, in 15, you know, that comes into question even more because, well, I won't spoil what goes on there. But what are James' motives? And I wonder what Joker's motives are as well because if Batgirl and all the other members of the Bat family are, quote-unquote, weighing Batman down, why does he plan on marrying her? What is that going to do? Well, I, do, I mean, how is that going to well, help? Well, this goes back to like what we talked about on TBU with the Catwoman issue in that like, mm-hmm. I'm thinking that the Joker is paying a lot more attention to the Bat family than I think that really warrants the goals he's, he's showing in this issue because he's all about Batman. I mean, he would just attack the, the Bat family. He said he was going to attack, you know, all of the sidekicks, but whether he knows his identity, her identity or not, I don't think that like kind of teasing, it's almost like when he enters a, a person's comic book, he becomes their arch enemy, and it's a little, it might be just a preference thing, because I, I feel like it's a little too concentrated on them. Like, he's a little too worried, concerned about unnerving them, then he just, you know, I still am under the opinion that if he really wanted to just mess with Batman, he would kill them. He would, he would kill the mother and mess with Batgirl, he would kill Gordon and mess with Batman, he would kill Alfred and mess with Bruce Wayne, and I, I think all this little, like, kind of, like, pussy fooling around is not really the Joker's style in how he wants to kind of get towards people. I mean, he doesn't have to kill everybody, but I think that, like... The way he's kind of teasing Batgirl, like, I actually thought that the finger was a little, I didn't really like that, but I think that was more of a Gail Simone thing. Mean, he could I'll, be going after Barbara Gordon Sr. because she's Commissioner Gordon's ex-wife. Yeah, there, there, is, there is that consideration. I, 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 will, I take that point. Um, I, mean, I don't know. I mean, I like this issue, too. Don't get me wrong. This is actually my favorite issue of the, of the series because it's when Barbara Gordon and Barbara Gordon and not, you know, not like New 52 Batgirl. But, uh, I mean, I agree that, like, you know, the Make You a Sandwich, wash it all down with milk, Barbara. There. Uh-huh. Isn't that better? Like, come on, Gail, please. Yeah. Now yeah. put your utensils away. <laughs> Close the drawer slowly. Clean your mouth. Wipe it off with a napkin. Yeah. Make sure you brush your teeth. And if you forget to floss, you'll never see your mother again. <laughs> so help you God if you don't. By the way, I should have realized this, like, a year, a good year ago, but it's just hitting me now that, like, since they've changed, like, the Gordon family tree, now that Barbara's no longer adopted, like, this means that, like, when Jim and, like, Barbara Gordon Sr. had their kids, they named each kid after them, which is, like, really weird. I thought about that. I realized that when I was watching The Dark Knight, because they had, you know, both, they, they never named the daughter, but I assume it's Barbara Gordon, that, like, yeah, James Jr. and Barbara Jr., <laughs> they're not very yeah. creative. And that's, and also, that's, like, really weird, like, a brother and sister that have the same name as a husband and wife, to be quite honest. Like the Millhouses. Oh in, in no way at all, really. The Millhouses. Yeah, Millhouse was an only child. Well, sorry, like, I, it just reminded me of like, the fact that like they all look alike. There's like an ongoing fan theory uh, that they're all... They're the brother and sister are the mother, husband and wife. That's true. Anyway. Oh, I hate these flood pants. Hey, they're working! My feet are soaked, but my cups are bone dry. Everything's coming up Millhouse. Yeah. <laughs> that that, just... that got into an incestuous place with the Van Allen's. <laughs> <laughs> and luckily I didn't say anything about any sort of shipper that I may have made between two potential Simpsons characters. 
that oh. may or may not get one of these fellows upset. But anyway, may or may not. May or may not. It may or may not. It depends on your mood. So this issue, I think, shows some potential in Barbara's character strength in conquering her issues with her past and Joker. But I, I just thought that there were just too many weird character interactions to make it a wholly good issue. And I'm hoping that motives are revealed next issue, but probably not. And we'll see if there's some resolution here with Gail Simone leaving. I wonder when her last issue is. Uh, so while Josh gave it a 9 out of 10, I, I'm going to – I feel like the 70s issues were way better than this. I would give it a 6 out of 10. That's yeah, I remember you, I mean, you weren't as high on it on when we reviewed it before, but like, no. <laughs> that's, that's a shame. I mean, I, I could go for the what a pair of games jokes because you actually that's actually applicable with Ed Ben and Oh yeah, what a pair of games. <laughs> I mean, I'll give this an eight just because like, except for except for the Nightwing issue, which was more humorous than stupid. Everything, every other issue before this to me was either mediocre or just flat out bad. And I, th- I think like for the most part, this was. I mean, I agree that like. It's inconsistent with the title, but this issue as a whole, I think, is uh, good. And <laughs> it's, it's probably already come out now, but I'm not a fan of this title. So, but I thought this was this was solid. So I'll give this eight out of ten severed fingers. Severed fingers. That's great. Um, eight out of ten severed fingers. That's like that's like a two fingered person. Oh my! <laughs> Hopefully, they left the thumbs. I think, well, because you could squeeze them to get, like, if you had a sandwich. <laughs> I give this comic two thumbs up. Oh, boy. <laughs> what so, are thumbs? Uh, before I go into the final issue, something I have to say that would probably be best said only to you because you would understand it. So there I am in the front of my classroom doing something. And I know it was a Monday because the student says on the weekend I such and such. And so the student says on the weekend I watched uh, a hip-hop opera. It was called oh, no. Trapped in the Closet. And I... <laughs> <laughs> I about near like collapsed on the ground in front of the floor. Will that I be the song for this episode? My eyes bugged out. I'm not going to put a song for that on the episode. I try to make this a kid-friendly show. I don't need that. I'll pull out my Beretta. Oh my gosh. I, I can totally see like trapped in the closet like this issue. Like, like the previous like song like ended with the phone call from James Jr. And like at the end like it's like Pulls down a seven finger. finger. <laughs> Let's make it happen. It's one stop sneezing. Oh my god. <laughs> one stop sneezing. Twice. I think she watched the entire thing though. I'm sorry, Stella. We just completely derailed the show. I just, she said trapped in the closet. She knew what she was getting into. Uh, <laughs> well, I don't know. You gotta stop after the midgets, I think. Well, now we have our, our final issue, which has sadly been dropped from the Batman universe. So we lost a good book, unfortunately. Yeah. Birds of Prey, number 14, Three Hours of the Condor. Writer Dwayne Sprzynski, penciler Romano Molinar, inker Vicente Sefuentes. He's doing double duty. And chorus Chris Sotomayor. Yokohama, Japan, eight hours until detonation. Condor is watching two members of the Dagger Clan carrying a second shipment up the side of a building. Condor gets in a brief tussle with the two daggers, gets to the mysterious box, and opens it to a surprising flashbang. The Dagger members were really Dinah and Katana dressed up. Katana demands her soul sword back. 
Dinah tries to kick Condor, but he's able to relay that kick to Katana's face instead. Batgirl leaps into action, and he somehow forces her to fall from the building without even touching her. Ev empties an entire clip and does not hit him. Then she falls off the building, and then Dinah realizes Condor may be a metahuman with some form of telekinesis. She tries to hit him again, throwing a punch to distract him, and then landing a kick. He finally falls off the building, another person off the building, and she goes after him using her banshee-like ability to glide, using her canary cry, and she glides and lands softly on the ground. Elsewhere, a warrior is being prepped for battle as he discusses the device which is counting down, the one part of the book that I had no idea was going on. <laughs> Six hours until detonation. Condor retrieves the soul sword as he asks questions uh, regarding the Dagger Clan and their motives. Katana declares that her husband seeks an audience with them all. Ask and you shall receive as the entire clan drops into the warehouse and the birds fight side by side with Condor, taking out as many as they can before each of the team members make an exit. Outside and alone, Starling makes a call to Amanda Waller, and inside a Dagger Clan leader confronts Tatsu, a.k.a. Katana. In an alley, Dinah and Condor land, and Dinah feels that familiar sensation once again, which we have no idea what it is. Condor uses this opportunity in order to take Dinah out and leave her in the alley, saying he will not go down the same road again. Five hours and 58 minutes to detonation. Next, Sayonara Katana... So, Josh, yeah, I think this would be interesting to start with you. I don't know if you've been following birds at all. No, I haven't. So how did it feel? Yeah. (laughs) I'm going to be honest. I was completely lost. Like, not that they need to be over expositional, but like I I was thrown completely into this story. I wasn't sure who these people were and what they were after. But what I did take from this um, was like the action sequences were really interesting. And I like this whole like, you know, they're in Japan or Tokyo, you know, fighting, like, all these different things. There's the whole samurai angle going on. So I liked the action, but I was honestly very lost in the story. And it's – I'm going to have to pass on grading it because I don't think it's fair for me to grade it because I don't have the full context of it. If that makes – I mean, I guess you should be able to grade a single issue. Like, if a 10-year-old was going to randomly pick this up, you know, and call it icky – that's a reference Watch. to it. Yeah. If it, like, every new comic should be reader-friendly. Like, a 10-year-old a or a 15-year-old should be able to pick this up and, like, read the story and get into it. So, I mean, in that sense, it failed. But, again, not knowing all that I know and picking this up blindly, I don't think it's fair enough for me to degrade it. But I did like the action sequences, so I'll give it that. Uh, Don, what did you think of this? Well, I've been reading Birds of Prey... But I've not read since issue zero, so I'm not. I don't know how the Poison Ivy story wrapped up, or I'm not sure what the current storyline is. That being said, I mean I generally dig Birds of Prey. It's like one of those new Fifty Two comics that feels like it's trying to be like. Well, my, I I don't want to. Let me rephrase. This. I don't want to seem just you know totally pinheaded. I like Birds of Prey. I've not been reading it mainly because I've been I've had all this stuff come up, like my stupid job. But uh, I I generally like you know like like Dwayne Swazinski style of writing, and I like that. I like the new penciler. Is Romano Molinar was the guy from uh, Issue Zero, and I like that art, art style. So I was pleased, pleased to see him here. I think the one con I have, and it's sort of like indicative of the series, is that like I'm really kind of tired of the way Katana is being written. And I know this is like you know this is the new Fifty Two, so you have to accept it, otherwise you suck. But I don't like. I, I, I really don't like this whole "Take me to my husband, my husband, my sword, and he will send your souls to the spirit realm or whatever," because. 
No one the hell talks like that. And even I don't care if you're Japanese or European or Australian. Like, I don't like it when I really don't like stereotypes. And I feel that like with Katana, even even in post crisis or pre crisis, she was sort of like the samurai chick. There, were, I mean, I remember in Identity Crisis, she talked like a normal person next to uh, Black Lightning. So to have her back as this like you know real feudal Japan Roroni Kenshin type of character, mm-hmm. honestly annoys me. And I understand that's the character that they're going with. That is her character. I don't like reading it though. But, but I, I, I can see that is a personal thing for myself, so I can't really agree against the issue. And I like seeing her... I, I find it interesting that she has this sort of Harley Quinn paint uh, without her mask. I remember seeing her in an earlier issue without any pa- face paint, so I'm wondering if she actually does that herself. or that's, I found that kind of interesting. The plot, I wasn't so... I wasn't so invested in the plot because it seemed like it was sort of involved in something that's been going on prior. Although I thought that Condor was an interesting villain and how he sort of repelled everything that was coming against him. Um, so from what I gathered in this issue and like the storyline between Black Canary, I enjoyed it well enough. So I'll give it a solid uh, 7 out of 10 birds, if that's what we're going for. Yeah, I thought that this issue, and I can definitely see how Josh had no idea what was going on because there were a lot of things happening, but... It's one of those things where a lot may be happening, but nothing is revealed. Like, we don't really know what's going on. And last issue, we really were focusing on Katana, uh, but this issue seemed more like the Condor show. So while in the previous episode, uh, Sean from Raging Bullets believes that the talent is going to replace Katana, I really feel like Condor is being set up to replace Katana on the team because... It just seems like Katana's going to leave, and, and here we've got this new guy that we've been focusing on. Uh, but we don't really know much about him. What is the connection to Katana? What is up with Dinah and, and this weird sound that she's hearing or why it only happens sometimes? I don't know. I love the beginning because you're following Condor, and you don't expect to see the trap laid by the birds. Uh, but it was also interesting to see Condor take out all of the, <laughs> the birds so quickly, basically throwing them off of the building, which after the second person falling from the building was sort of comical, and then he fell from the building as well. Um, it was nice to see another metahuman, you know, being given a character that's similar to Dinah, and I'm wondering how much metahumans are a part of this new 52 universe, because we don't really talk about them in, in that sort of way. We're just There are regular people, and then there are the superhumans, like Superman and everything. So I, I wonder how, if we're going to be building up these type of people now. If I can interject just oh, sure. quickly. That was, actually, that was actually addressed in the a, a long since canceled Static comic. Oh, okay. Because um, Static, like, when we say metahuman, like, that was sort of like, you know, what they would call it, even though he wasn't born with his powers. Mm-hmm. And they were kind of, the people going up against him, I think, was a combination of, like, you know, knowing who were, who were metahumans and then trying to create metahumans. So that's actually something I think they're trying to develop in the New 52. But that was a while ago because like, that, that series lasted eight issues, so that might have changed since then. But I do know that like that kind of idea has been remarked upon somewhere else. I'm sad that Sag Shock is gone now because it was that... Do you think that was the only place that they ever talked about it? Um, I don't know because I've not read a lot of other... You know, there's so many other titles. Yeah. Uh, but that was one where that, that was part of the that was part of the plot, like uh, that that you actually understand. Yeah, I got gotcha. you. <laughs> but uh, yeah, you know. What I mean. First, I wanted to know about the masked dagger that comes to attack Katana, and I wondered if it was one of the people that we're 
seen talking together earlier, the Garasuki-san or the Santoku, because I had no idea who these people were, what their connections were to Katana, and I feel like they were different people than we saw in the previous issue. So this is just a part that I, I had no idea what was going on. And I agree with Don that while I know what happened with the Ivy episode, and it wasn't resolved, but I guess it's resolved when we see her in Detective Comics, it just seems like, hey, let's focus on another bird of prey. Let's go with Katana this time. And so then we're thrown into this sort of story, and it's not really the best story to highlight this character. But I do hope we find out what's going on with Dinah, this weird feeling that she's getting. <laughs> it, it's not really consistent. It it's just has sort of randomly started happening. It's not happened in Team 7, because I've been reading that. Does it only happen sometimes? I don't really know if it's a dangling plot thread that will never be resolved. And I'm surprised that Condor just left Dinah like that, especially since she helped him out twice. So what's his story? What did he mean by same road? What does he against the daggers? Would he be a fitting member on the team? So see all these questions that I have, but none of them are resolved. So not the best birds of prey issue, but I, I still for the most part am enjoying the team and the book and I'm hoping that with Katana gone that we get a good member that flows well and if it's the Talon I guess we'll see how Mary fits and if it's Condor I guess we'll see what happens there and then of course Amanda Waller sort of having her fingers in in the pie as well I give it seven out of ten birds What's up with Dinah? Whoa, whoa, whoa. Oh, boy. That's, that's not how it goes at all. Oh. Um, if you remember from the last comic podcast that I did, I'm trying to think it was before, <laughs> would it, I guess it was 48, I said that I was no longer going to plot or recap World's Finest number 6 anymore just because I wasn't enjoying it, but I would give you... Ratings, uh, World's Finest Number 6, Family Matters, which actually guest stars Robin. This was actually, it's funny that the, the time I say I'm, I'm going to stop, we've got a good issue. And it was actually Robin and Huntress. And I thought it was actually a good issue. 8.5 out of 10 shredded costumes. And yes, another destroyed costume happened in that particular issue. And then Team, yeah, I know. And then Team 7, Number 2, Black Diamond Probability, Mission 1, Part 2. Lockdown, uh, I would give it a 7 out of 10 Amanda Waller. Still solid, not like the greatest thing, but... Amanda Waller is a grading system. Um, yeah. <laughs> yep. I should say thin Amanda Wallers, just because we know. 7 out of 10 liposuctions. Yep. What do you guys, what do you guys think? Any, any high points of BTO in year 3? Or low points? What was your favorite oh. moment? Well... Let's see. Lots of crazy adventures we've had over the years. I was actually listening to. I was actually listening to two episodes on the way home uh, from work today. I, I finished up uh, your uh, your debate one with uh, the part one, the one that's out. Oh yeah. And I, and I started listening to you and uh, Joe Jinx talk about Scooby Doo. Yep. <laughs> it's funny because you're talking about Scrappy Doo now at the part that I stopped on. But it's it's been a fun ride. I mean, gosh, when this started, you know, like Stephanie was Batgirl, and now like look look at all that's happened since then. And we started, and, and of course, in your look back section, we started with you know, uh, librarian and you know graduates, you know, uh, Barbara Gordon, Doctor Barbara Gordon, PhD, and now she's you know Babs Boots Gordon, Congresswoman. Yeah. I mean, we've seen her date Clark Kent and uh, Senator Cleary. 
James Bard. We've seen her. Uh, we've, of course, seen her first kiss with Dick Grayson and uh, memories. Let's see. Uh, Heather Glenn's cameo on the podcast. You're reading all those uh, letters all from the people angry letters. about the Dick and Babs kiss. Yep. And let's see. I remember driving to Jacksonville for um, a concert of, um, back in, like, 2010, early 2010, listening to you and Kevin talk about Batgirl Year One. Oh, like, yeah. I, I can remember um, when I've listened Way to, like, uh, yeah. different episodes. Let's see. And then, of course, uh, that, that 1966 movie commentary that, like, you surprised us with. <laughs> that hasn't been released yet, though. <laughs> Well, that that's gonna be really hard to edit because I'm like I'm like reading private messages on Facebook that in like between can the YouTube vids. Yeah, that can never be released to the public. And uh uh the the hard time that we had recording uh Shadow of the Bat part one and part two last year because I had to go to Starbucks. I remember that. And my computer lost its Wi Fi. I remember yep. that too. And and Wheel of Batgirl, that was fun. That was That was awesome. Yeah. That might be my favorite time on the show thus far because it was a, such a perfect setup. Like all of us, it was very background oriented and very listener friendly, and tested all of our knowledge. And I and I came up short. So I'm a fraud in my love for Cassandra Kane. I'm really glad you got that thought balloon question right three years later. Otherwise, oh it would have been really embarrassing me bringing it, it back. It would have been, yeah. Oh no, yeah, that would have been sad. I think that. Uh, I think Stella's metal has really been tested with this this uh, with this character of Barbara Gordon in re- in late because she started this podcast. Uh, it's called Background Oracle, and of course she's Background now, but she's sticking at it. She's going at the old stuff. She kind of covers it from different uh, venues, you know, going over Super Best Friends Forever and the '60s Show, and uh, you know the movies which will be coming up. So. I think it just shows that, like, because Stella clearly doesn't like the current run, but she loves, she still loves the character. So, yeah, I think it's like, like, just by that, this is one of the strongest podcasts that keeps going on a consistent basis. It's not been delayed or anything. So, yeah, I try not to. It gets close sometimes. You know what? It's been three years and it hasn't been done yet. On a podcast called Batgirl the Oracle, there has still been no love shown for the very first Batgirl, Betty Kane. What? I'm sorry. <laughs> How dare you? What are you saying needs to be done? What are you suggesting? It, it needs to be done. Yes. Oh. We need to. We need to do I Betty Kane, Batgirl, and Babs Gordon. Batgirl ever had a crossover? Yes, they have. Oh wait, no. Hold on. Hold on. No, they didn't. I was confusing okay. them with. Um. I mean, let me. I mean, obviously they've met, it, but not like when they were both Batgirl at the same time. Right. Because I'm trying to think, like, because Betty Kane was Batgirl again in the 70s, and someone even says, you're not Batgirl. Batgirl's a redhead that lives in Washington, D.C. <laughs> oh, that's the first Batgirl. I'm the real Batgirl. First. Or no, that's the new Batgirl. I'm the real Batgirl. Yeah, Babs Gordon being the new Batgirl, that's that's interesting. <laughs> yeah, wow. She's the original. There was probably, like, can you imagine in the Silver Age, there was probably people, like, the way that we are with Stephanie right now, it's like, how dare, you know, D.C. forget that Betty Kane exists, wow. you know? Yeah. Blonde Batgirl. Did you ever cover Stephanie's first three appearances in Detective? No, I never did. I, I feel like that was something that we've talked about doing, but we never got oh, around. Yeah. yeah, we should totally do that. That uh, that first three-parter. Yeah. Yeah, you might like that. And then that might be that might be a different, an interesting era for you. But like, in before, in between, like you know, Oracle appearances later on in the nineties, you might want to mm-hmm. hit that up. Yeah, that would be good. Well, thank you for coming on again. I think that this seems to be 
a tradition now. I'm down You'll never it. let me leave. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You can't see what they're doing, shippers, but I can. Oh, please. <laughs> I see where Donovan's hand is and where it was in San Diego. I'm so embarrassed, Josh. Stop. I'll never tell. Oh. I'll never tell. <laughs> oh, my gosh. <laughs> Oh, well, thank you for supporting Backworld Oracle for three years strong. And hopefully the next year will be even stronger. And maybe we'll see who the next writer is. Maybe I'll be able to get an interview out of that person. Yeah, I look forward to more great episodes. But we will be doing Batman and Robin. So you can look forward to that Babs in the Tube that will be coming out shortly. Babs in the Tube special, extra long, extra... Body. <laughs> yes. Extra neon. Extra, Extra leather. Yep. And Lex Luthor. Oh, I'm sorry. Lionel Luthor is yeah. in it too. Yes. Starring Lionel Luthor. And Element Yep. <laughs> Tom Hardy. Not really, but. But not really. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, the doctor from ER. NCIS Miami. Yeah. The girl from Clueless. And, and let's see. Oh, yeah. Wasn't like one of the bikers supposed to be somebody famous? Coolio. What? Oh, it is Coolio! Coolio, yeah. in most of our lives living in a neon paradise. <laughs> what? The red bird won't make the jump living in... <laughs> oh, yeah, also starring the governor of... The former governor of California. Yeah, of How's, course. How, how, how's that for a laugh, you know? And, uh, stay cool, bad boy. All right, folks, so here's your cliffhanger for 2015. Who will be the new writer for Batgirl? Will Stephanie ever get an appearance without DC, you know, like jumping on it and then Bleeding Cool jumping on them and then fans <laughs> just jumping in general? Will Batgirl and the Joker get married? Hey, you never know. 2015? Are we taking a two-year break? I said 13, didn't I? No, you said 15. I'm like, oh, yeah. what am I doing for this oh, two-year yeah. hiatus? Continuity, Continuity. We'll fix it in the trade paperback. Uh, yeah. Yeah. We'll, Babs, right on it. yeah, we'll Babs boots Gordon, you know, get a second term in Congress. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And we'll Barbara go through a single issue of her series without thinking, oh, Alyssa and I are having ice cream. Ice cream. It reminds me of the killing joke because I was thinking about ice cream when the Joker shot me. But thanks again to Mile High Comics for sponsoring Backroll to Oracle for three years. And thank you to all you listeners. Uh, but until next time. Fly on, Babs lovers. It's true. Fly on. Fly on. Just plain Barbara Gordon masquerading for a lark as she rides into the night on her special Batgirl cycle. Who knows? Is the dynamic duo destined to become the triumphant trio? Only time will tell us more about this dazzling dare doll. Ah, I love a happy ending, don't you?